you stand together for the reading of God's Word. Continuing ahead now in the book of Acts, we're looking at uh, verse 4 again. The title of today's sermon is The Promise of the Father. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day's journey. Thus in the reading of God's word. Amen, amen. Please be seated. So, the apostles and... The followers of Christ are are waiting. That's what I'm told to do. They're supposed to wait. And we looked at that last time we were in Acts two weeks ago. We talked about prayer and the importance of a life of prayer and waiting on God's Holy Spirit to move. Well, today we're going to take a look at what is this promise of the Father. You know, before the great day of Pentecost in the year of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension... Some of God's people in the Old Testament experienced the special work of God's Holy Spirit. To make him able to perform all the craftsmanship for the tabernacle, the Lord filled Bazalel with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. We see the Holy Spirit gifted that man. Eldad and Medad and the other elders of the 70 leaders also prophesied when God placed his spirit upon them. We see the spirit's work there also. In addition, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon before he led Israel into deliverance. We see the work of the Holy Spirit there also. What about uh, some others? Well, let's look at Samson. Samson, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily before he killed 30 men of Ashkelon. That's in Judges 14, 19. 
Yet we do not see the widespread outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And often the work of the Spirit in these saints was for a specific purpose and for a limited time. So as we will see in the Scriptures today, we can contrast the work of God's Spirit in the Old Testament with the work of God's Spirit in the New Testament. The promise of the Father had not yet been given in the Old Testament, but the promise of the Father was indeed poured out at the great day of Pentecost in the year of our Lord's ascension. You know, as those who understand, seek to covenantally understand uh, the Scriptures, uh, we are able in many ways by God's grace to see the continuity that the Lord has placed between the Old Covenant writings and the New Covenant writings. Understanding continuity versus discontinuity is an important part of understanding the Bible and reading the Bible properly. Well, what we're looking at today is a pretty significant area of discontinuity where things have changed significantly in the New Covenant age compared to the Old Covenant age. So in today's sermon, we're going to look at this idea of the promise of the Father from the Old Testament. We're going to look at it from the New Testament. And then, as usual, some questions for each one of us to consider, to know and to love and to obey God more fully. Let's start with the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23, talks about the outpouring of the Spirit. I'll read from verses 20 to 23. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening, openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. And verse 23 says, Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So what we see here is that Solomon taught his contemporaries that God would pour out his spirit upon his people. And in the context, we see this outpouring as a prerequisite for humbly receiving God's conviction and going on to learn from God's word. Matthew Henry talks about this text. He says, the author of this grace is the spirit, and that is promised. I will pour out my spirit unto you as oil, as water. You shall have the spirit in abundance, rivers of living water, as in John seven thirty-eight. Our heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him. And so we, we do see a life in the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It is, we should not think that the Old Testament life is life devoid of the Holy Spirit's actions. Going on to the representative text, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's the text, you know, that Peter teaches from. Going on with the remainder of Joel 2, 28 to 32. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So Peter preaches from this text on, on the day of Pentecost, teaching the people there what is going on. By God's inspiration, he chose to cite this text. 
And it's the focal point of the Old Testament promise. And we learn that from Peter, the way he chose that text by God's inspiration. So let's note the key aspects of the promise of the Father. First, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it's worth noting this idea of pour out. Even though we've seen it in Proverbs, we see it more fully here predicted in the New Testament, the New Covenant Age. Matthew Henry says, the blessing itself here promised is the pouring out of the Spirit of God, His gifts, graces, and comforts, which the Blessed Spirit is the author of. We often read in the Old Testament of the Spirit of the Lord coming by drops, as it were, upon the judges and prophets whom God raised up for extraordinary services. But now the Spirit shall be poured out plentifully in a full stream. So what begins to develop here is this idea of a greater abundance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, When an individual receives the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it tends to be in greater abundance than what we saw in the Old Covenant. Then the text says, all flesh. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. He lists groups of people, sons and daughters. He'll prophesy old men will dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. Men servants and maidservants shall receive the outpouring of God's Spirit. Joel goes out of his way to list for us pretty much every category of human being that will be receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So not only is there a greater abundance upon each person that receives the Holy Spirit, but we see all of God's people are included in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant Age. In addition, it's over the entire earth. Matthew Poole says, upon, about, upon all flesh. Before these gifts were confined to a few people, to one particular nation, to a very small people, but now they shall be enlarged to all nations. You see this in Acts 2.33 and 10.45. To all that believe, all that are regenerate. So here we begin to see another one of the contrasts between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant Age and the Old Covenant Age is the river that flows from the throne over the entire earth, growing deeper as it goes, as we'll look at in Ezekiel over time. Isaiah 32 also speaks of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, I'll read verses 14 through 18. Because the palaces will be forsaken, the bustling city will be deserted, the forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. About this text, Matthew Poole says, And therefore these promises concern the times of the gospel when God's Spirit was in a most evident and glorious manner poured forth upon the apostles and other believing Jews to the astonishment of their adversaries. And when the following promises were in a good measure fulfilled and are more fully to be accomplished in God's due time. So in this sense, we see not only the Fulfillment of this in the New Testament age at Pentecost in the year that Christ ascended, 
but we also get a hint of this continual outpouring. Note the comprehensive fruits and benefits as well that come to us in this text. When God's Spirit is poured out, individuals receive the Spirit more abundantly, and the entire church receives the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And listen to the abundant fruits that come from this. Righteousness, peace, quietness and assurance forever, secure dwellings and peaceful and quiet resting places. So we begin to see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit expanding well beyond individuals, even well beyond the church into societal blessings from God's Spirit. Ezekiel also speaks of the promise of the Father. Verse 29 in chapter 39 says this, I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my Spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. So the Lord here is speaking of His face, of His countenance, of His favor upon His people. The outpouring of God's Spirit here is connected with this new age of unending favor before God's face that He promises to give to His people in an unbroken way from the throne of God because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is the bright favor of God for us, brothers and sisters. Always ours. Always able to be confident and joyful before the face of God and to receive His countenance because of the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry speaks of this text, God will pour out His Spirit upon them to prevent their departures from Him and prevent their returns to folly again and to keep them close to their duty. And then He will never hide His face anymore from them, will never suspend His favor as He had done. He will never turn from doing them good And in order to that, he will effectually provide that they shall never turn from doing him service. Note, the indwelling of the Spirit is an infallible pledge of the continuance of God's favor. He will hide his face no more from those on whom he has poured out his Spirit. When therefore we pray that God would never cast us away from his presence, we must as earnestly pray that in order to that, he would never take his Holy Spirit away from us. So we see here the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament age is also associated with God preventing us as His people from departing from Him and granting to us this growing desire to always walk in His Spirit, to walk in newness of life. Zechariah the prophet also speaks of the outpouring of the Spirit in chapter 12, verse 10 of Zechariah. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So you see these texts, something new is coming. Something new is coming in the way in which God outpours his spirit, the abundance of the Holy Spirit's working internally and externally, and the persistence of God's Spirit's presence with us as people. Note the connection here in Zechariah between the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit and the conviction of sin. Specifically here, the sin in question 
is the crucifixion of Christ. Matthew Henry puts it this way. This is the effect of their looking to Christ. It makes them mourn. This was particularly fulfilled in those to whom Peter preached Christ crucified. When they heard it, those who had had a hand in piercing him were pricked to the heart. And they cried out, what shall we do? It is fulfilled in all those who sorrow for sin after a godly sort. They look to Christ and they mourn for him, not so much for his sufferings as for their own sins that procured them. Note, the genuine sorrows of a penitent soul flow from the believing sight of a pierced Savior. Looking by faith upon the cross of Christ will set us mourning for sin after a godly sort. So we see in Zechariah the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father given in the new covenant age associated with this deep conviction of sin, comprehensive but particularly in regards to the suffering that our sin placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. All shall be sanctified. All who are in the church shall be sanctified shall be brought into the conviction of sin, the hatred of sin, and the love of holiness that God gives to all who receive the internal and external indwelling and outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, what happens in the New Testament? It's beautiful as we think about this to look at Luke chapter 3 verses 21 to 23, and see where it started in the New Covenant age. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. So here we see when Jesus prays, the Father opens heaven and the Father sends the promised Holy Spirit upon Jesus Christ at His baptism, at the anointing unto His calling. You know, Messiah, Christ, the anointed one. This is His anointing. What marks His anointing most powerfully is not the water that John used. It is the bodily presence of the Holy Spirit of God given from the Father to the Son, placed upon Him in fullness at this moment when the Father says, You are my beloved Son. In You I am well pleased. These are words that Adam had heard but lost. And now Jesus, as the second Adam, comes back and He hears the Father's good word to Him and receives the Holy Spirit of God upon him. You know, as an aside, not in your notes, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the perfect man, and as the second person of God, the Godhead, did not need the Holy Spirit to do his work. And yet in his humility as the perfect man, he received the Holy Spirit from God the Father, and everything he did was in submission to his Father by the work of the Holy Spirit in him. How much more do we need the Holy Spirit? So we see here, note please, that the promise of the Father 
is here given to Jesus Christ at his anointing. Going on now in John 7, this verse has been referenced by some of the commentaries already in today's sermon. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here we see that this time is coming where Jesus would be giving the promise of the Father to all of his people. All of those who believe in Christ receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the receiving of the Holy Spirit, again, to emphasize the abundance, how thirsty are you? Can you ever drink so much from God's Spirit that the well is empty? Can all the people of God throughout all eternity ever drink so much from the well of God's Spirit that the, the well grows to, Oh, it's getting empty. We should stop. We should... No. No. The more you drink, the more there is. And this is another mark of the New Testament age is the overabundant availability of the Holy Spirit of God to all who ask, to all who come and drink from the Spirit. Any time during Christ's ministry, not at any time during His ministry, had the Holy Spirit been given yet. This promise of the Father had not been given in this way yet. And why not? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit could only be given after the glorification of Christ at the Father's right hand had been completed. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is a cooperative work of the Father and the Son. Matthew Henry says, The Spirit of God was from eternity, for in the beginning He moved upon the face of the waters. He was in the Old Testament prophets and saints, and Zacharias and Elizabeth were both filled with the Holy Ghost. This, therefore, must be understood of the imminent, plentiful, and general effusion of the Spirit which was promised, Joel 2.28, and accomplished, Acts 2, verse 1. The Holy Ghost was not yet given in that visible manner that was intended. If we compare the clear knowledge and strong grace of the disciples of Christ themselves after the day of Pentecost with their darkness and their weakness before we shall understand in what sense the Holy Ghost was not yet given. The earnests and first fruits of the Spirit were given, but the full harvest was not yet to come. That which is most properly called the dispensation of the Spirit did not yet com commence. The Holy Ghost was not yet given in such rivers of living water as should issue forth to water the whole earth, even the Gentile world. John also teaches us about the promise of the Father in chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. Jesus is speaking to his disciples there in the upper room at the Last Supper, teaching them in that important moment in time. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So we see here that Jesus asks the Father to give to his disciples another helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when given to the people of God, will abide with God's people forever in the church throughout the entire age of what we could call the Pentecost age of history. So we see here the Holy Spirit is dwelling with us and dwelling in us. External and internal work of the Holy Spirit and that Jesus Christ our Lord comes to us with the Holy Spirit coming to join with us in the work of the Holy Spirit. I like here that Jesus uses the first the, the pronoun he for the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of forget that the Holy Spirit is a person to be honored and adored and worshipped like God the Father and God the Son. And to be appreciated for the particular work that the Holy Spirit of God does. To be worshipped in that manner. John 15, 26 John goes on and says, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. Brothers and sisters, these are great mysteries. When we think of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the relationship in the midst of the Trinity, we see some things clearly here. That Jesus Christ our Lord sends from the throne of God from Mount Zion, sends the Holy Spirit to the church from the Father. And the Holy Spirit, we're told in this text, proceeds from the Father, and the Holy Spirit will come and will testify of Jesus. The Holy Spirit delights to testify of Jesus. In John 16, there's a, another wonderful text here, verses 5 through 15. There's a lot in here about the Holy Spirit. I'll try to focus on those sections that shed light on the Holy Spirit being the promise of the Father. But now I go away to Him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has fulfilled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Do you hear that? We have greater advantage now because of the Holy Spirit poured out upon us than the disciples had when they were with Christ. Do you hear that? If I, if for, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. If I depart, I will send him to you. It is to your advantage that I go away. Going on with verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus is continuing to speak to his church by his word and his spirit. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You see the the beautiful humility expressed within the Godhead. The Holy Spirit of God demonstrating such such beautiful humility in in this uh, relationship amongst uh, the three persons of the Trinity. You see, the Holy Spirit could only come to the church after Jesus departed to go to God's right hand. So the promise of the Father would only come after Jesus departed and after he was glorified, enthroned, coronated, heaven's king announced. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to his church after he departed to God's right hand. It's a great promise. It's an advantage to them. The Holy Spirit will guide the church into all truth so the church can expect to be instructed by the Holy Spirit and brought into all truth. That should be our expectation over time. The Holy Spirit only speaks what he hears from Jesus and from the Father. The Holy Spirit comes and brings the people of God into the truth of God to know Christ, to know the Father, and to walk in righteousness and power. To bring the conviction of sin that is associated in the hearts of sinners when truth arrives. In Acts 2, verses 32 and 33, we see this taking place. So Peter tells them, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God. So Peter knew it was after Jesus was exalted that the promise of the Father would come. And here's what he says. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. This had been planned for quite some time. It's a part of the uh, eternal covenant of redemption between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The great day of Pentecost in the year our Lord ascended, and I, w- I want to say A.D. 30, but not to introduce any unnecessary controversy, but I believe it was A.D. 30. But in either case, the great day of Pentecost in the year our Lord ascended to God's right hand saw the fulfillment of the promise of the Father being given to the church. This is an important thing for us to understand because, you know, as we move into our time of a few questions to consider this for yourself, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, when I examine myself, it appears as though I think like an Old Testament saint. I, I think like an Old Testament saint. I, I think that there are limitations upon the, the Father's uh, willingness Uh, to give to me His Holy Spirit. Some limit of how much or in what areas of life that I could expect the the Father to pour out the Spirit upon me. Now granted, there are diversity of gifts and we know that God gives by the Holy Spirit as we read today in 1 Corinthians 12, a diversity of gifts. But I still think that sometimes I don't realize how different it is to live in the New Testament age compared to the Old Testament age in regards to the giving of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And I'm not telling you that I think that I've necessarily come to that understanding that, that right now at this moment I finally figured it out. I don't think that. I still think there's more for me to discover about what it means to live in the New Testament age, in the New Covenant age, with the Holy Spirit being poured out from the throne of God upon this world. So do you think like an Old Testament saint or a New Testament saint, can, can you articulate why it's different to live now compared to before that great day in AD 30? Do you understand the benefits and joys available to you as God pours out His Holy Spirit upon you? And this has to do with the abundance of the Holy Spirit's availability to you, brothers and sisters. The abundance that God is so glad to bless you with. We're promised that if we ask the Father for the Spirit, that He will give us the Holy Spirit in abundance. He delights to give us His Spirit. And, and the analogy of drinking is important for you to consider at this point in time. <clears throat> when we think of drinking, the question for you is, how often do you get thirsty? Let's just think of regular water. How often do you need to drink water? Right? Right? What would you think if in your life you knew that there was not enough water for you to survive? What would you do? What would you do if you had a limitation in your life of water? What would you do? Well, you would ration. You would ration. Brothers and sisters, I think we've been rationing the Holy Spirit of God. I think that's how we approach the Holy Spirit of God. I know that's, when I look at my life, it seems that way to me. Do you approach God in a rationing fashion? Concerned that the drink that He'll give you today, that there might not be another drink of God's Spirit tomorrow. That there might not be enough power, enough understanding, enough compassion. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit of God brings all the character of Christ to bear in our souls, in us and through us. Don't ration as you drink from God's Spirit. Don't ration. For your family, the same could be true. Do you sense in your mind that you think that there may be some limits upon the Holy Spirit's availability to you personally or in your family, maybe in your marriage? Our church, uh, you know, do we think that there's some limitation to the availability of God's Spirit to us? The scriptures tell us we do not have because we do not ask. And that is a broad principle, is it not? And perhaps we do not ask because we're not thirsty. Um, perhaps we do not ask because we think that God, well, he just gave me a big drink yesterday. I shouldn't expect to grow anymore today. I shouldn't expect to know anymore today. I shouldn't expect to love anymore today. <clears throat> How about when we think about seeking God for His Holy Spirit, for His church, for the purification and the strengthening and the beautification and the boldness and the power of His church to be the influence in the earth that God calls us to be. Is there any reason that we know of why the Holy Spirit could not be poured out in such great abundance upon us individually? and in our families, 
and in this church and in the church of God in the earth that we couldn't see the same kind of beautiful transformation of the world that took place in the first 100, 200, 300 years of the early church. Is there any reason for us to think that that couldn't happen? The kind of transformation of culture that took place during the Reformation. The kind of conversions that took place during many of the revivals that we've seen in the world. Is there any reason to think, more simply, that we can't just be faithful to God every day by the outpouring of His Holy Spirit? Because that's what we need. We need His Spirit each and every day. We think of the extraordinary, and we should. We should pray for the extraordinary. But brothers and sisters, the ordinary means of grace also require for us to drink from God's Spirit daily. So in one sense, we don't wait on the Spirit. In one sense, we just drink. Through the means of grace that God has given to us, we receive His Spirit. As you hear the Word preached, as you eat the bread and drink the wine in faith towards God, the Word, the sacraments, the ordinary means of grace that God gives to you, do you know what you're doing? You're taking the drinks that He's intended for you to, to water your soul, to feed your soul. But we also want to wait, if you will, Pray, cry out to God for an extraordinary work of His Holy Spirit as well. I think the final question I want to ask today is, and this is associated with what I've already said, do you have the faith to believe that the promise of the Father is for you? The promise of the Father is for you, Christian, from the youngest to the oldest, with the gray beards or with the no beards, young ladies, young men, married, single, for each one of us, do you believe, do you have the faith to believe that the promise of the Father is for you and for all of God's people? And do you have the faith to pray that way? And to seek the Lord according to the promise of the Father being the promise to you, to all of us, His people. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we do look to You, Lord, that we would continue to drink of Your Spirit, that You would in Your great kindness continue to pour out from Your inexhaustible stores the Holy Spirit of God that we would drink deeply as you come to dwell within us in greater and greater abundance filling us more and more as you come to surround us with your presence more and more that we would always be drinking from you and walking with you and receiving the outpouring of the Spirit of God from your throne. Lord, help us, we pray, to see and to know all the ways that we quench and grieve your Holy Spirit and that we would repent of these things, O oh God, and that we would simply drink the pure water of heaven poured out to us from your throne and that we might, O oh God, as we drink 
through the ordinary means of grace. Grow in faith to cry out to you and to wait for the flood of power from your throne that would bring great and mighty revival, great and mighty conversions, great boldness to the tongues of your people, and that hearts would be plowed up by the Holy Spirit of God and made ready to fall when the Word of God comes to receive the Word and for the Word of God to be planted in their hearts unto salvation and to spring up to fruitfulness. May we see this with our own eyes. We pray, O God, in Jesus' name.